On this episode of This Week in Linux, we check out some app news for the upcoming OBS Studio 23.0 and the recent release of Taskbook 0.3. We'll cover some distro news with Ubuntu 1804.2, Debian 9.8, and MX Linux 18.1. Then we'll look at some rather interesting news like a surprise release of Compiz 0.9, Windows Explorer gaining support to access Linux files, and an Electron app that lets you experience what it was like to use Windows 95. We also got some great news for Linux gaming, like Ethan Lee's crowdfunding campaign for improving SDL, Steamplay may be getting support for easy anti-cheat, and Rocket League is about to release a game-changing new feature. Later we'll also cover some rather unfortunate news for users of Docker and Linux Tracker, and all that much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Touch Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get access to this, plus their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also offers 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free for two months with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. You can use that $100 credit for trying out a bunch of different small droplets, or you can try out their beastly droplets like their 16 gig RAM, six virtual CPU droplet with six terabytes of transfer. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. And thanks again for D- to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up first in the show this week is OBS Studio 23.0 has release candidates out. Uh, they're average, they haven't officially released this latest stable version yet, but they're going to be doing so soon. But the OBS Studio, if you're not aware, is an incredibly important piece of this show. And I'm so happy to see anytime they have new versions, especially this version, because they announced they're going to be doing a lot of stuff for Linux. So first up, they said that they're going to be uh, doing one of the biggest enhancements anyway, is that the VAA, the VA API video encoder support would be built into the Linux version with version 23. There were third-party third party add-ons to do this, uh, but they weren't that easy to implement. And But now it will be able to have it built in, which will also add support for encoding um, the AMD Intel uh, hardware in the same way that you could do with NVIDIA hardware with the NVENC, uh, NVENC tools. Uh, other features, they added a limiting ability for audio filter, so you can actually have control over the volume of the uh, more more fine-grained control via filters over audio tracks. You can also have multi-audio track support. Uh, there's They're adding the ability to have uh, the fourth auxiliary, uh, auxiliary audio input and also stereo balancing because you can have, like, it's in some cases it's hard to balance uh, it, right now in OBS, the left and right channels, depending on your the audio volumes that you have, they're going to add that ability to do so, which is awesome. And the another thing that's really cool, there's an, a thing called an OBS browser, and it's a plug-in. Well, actually, it's a, in the regular OBS, it's a, just a regular feature. It's for the Windows version, anyway. And it was called OBS-Browser, and it allows you to load web pages and stuff like this. Like on the screen, if you're watching the video version, this is the OBS website that I'm loading their website into the uh, scene via a browser plugin. Now the OBS browser doesn't work on Linux, but so someone made a Linux browser that's kind of like a fork specifically for the Linux usage of it. So thankfully that they did that because this made it possible for me to do the show in a more reasonable way. Um, but the OBS team had decided to fix the OBS browser functionality in Linux so that plugin won't be necessary and hopefully they'll include some of the, the modifications that they made because Linux browser is really cool and has a lot of cool features. So anyway, they said that's something they're planning on uh, addressing. There's a lot of other cool features with OBS, but uh, fundamentally OBS, I mean, this show wouldn't be able to be made in a reasonable amount of time and a reasonable amount of effort without the existence of OBS. So it's just something I wanted to promote as far as like letting people know about it, as well as giving them attention to the fact that it's such a fundamental uh, tool for making content these days that uh, I just wanted to highlight this new release because there's a lot of cool stuff coming and with the new support for the AMD's um, functionality of having 
like hardware enabled or hardware encoding makes it's going to be a lot easier if you have hardware for with AMD or Intel to uh, do streaming and all kinds of stuff, which means that it's high likelihood that uh, my new graphics card that's coming, uh, I don't know when exactly, but within a week or two or something like that, it's going to be an AMD card. So I'm excited to try it out because then I'll be able to potentially, theoretically, start doing more streams because I'll have a, a more powerful hardware to utilize in OBS. So I am looking forward to that. And if you'd like to find out more about OBS Studio, I'll have a link to the GitHub page for this release uh, on in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Compiz 0.9.14. This is the first update for this branch in over two years. And this update brings some new modifications to the Compiz Config Settings Manager, porting it to GTK3 and Python 3. They've restored the Color Filter plugin. They've added the ability to support uh, loading configuration data from multiple files. And they've done a lot of improvements and bug fixes and things over that. And they've also removed some old code like support for KDE4 that's you know no longer being maintained by the KDE team anyway. So no reason to continue working on that. Uh, they've also done a lot of other things, but if you haven't heard about it, uh, Compiz is a compositor for the Linux distro desktop for a variety of different uh, DEs that use it. Uh, it used to be maintained for Unity by the Canonical team. So, well, the Ubuntu team specifically was maintaining their own version of Compiz. Now, there's also another version called Compiz Reloaded. It's a completely separate branch maintained by different people. The difference with this, these versions is that Compiz had a lot of work since 0.8 for streamlining and making the code more efficient. So there's a lot of been a lot of a lot of uh, like technical debt and bit rot code that's been removed in that version. And the Compiz Reloaded people decided to fork Compiz 0.8 instead of the Ubuntu version, so that they chose to start with that version, which means they'll have to clean up all the stuff that or keep it in anyway. But clean up, uh, in theory, they have to clean up all the stuff that the Ubuntu team already did. So this new project, or is like a continuation of the previous content uh, content that Ubuntu made. I'm not sure if any of the people who are on the current team of the, of the latest release are from Ubuntu or not. Um, but it, it does seem to be a continuation of that version. So um, I think it's really interesting because Compiz has had a history that's you know, kind of weird. So, like, if you haven't heard of it before, the the all the the most like the really flashy effects that you see on dis and uh, desktops, uh, a lot of the times is being done by Compiz. So, uh, for example, there was this thing a long time ago that was really popular to show the desktop cube, which was you'd had virtual desktops and you would sp like spin around a cube in order to get to the different desktops. It just looked cool. It wasn't really that useful functionally, but it did look cool. So a lot of people use it to demonstrate the power of Linux and how like how much you could do with it and all the various different like effects you could do. It's a really nice thing to see with uh, with for a lot of people. Even myself, when I first saw it, I was like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." And then then I used it for a while and realized, "Wow, there's no reason reason to have these." But okay. Anyway, Compiz is really cool. But there's a there's a thing that used to have that like a, back in the day when Compiz was the go-to compositor. Now there's some other compositors that are people using for the different DEs. But when it was like the the main compositor on Linux, and well, not main, but like one of the main, because also Kwin has been around for a while. There was about five, like maybe four or five different versions at a time at one time, all competing each other, and they were all called Compiz. There was like Compiz, there was Compiz Fusion, and just a bunch of others. And then there was some like forks that renamed it without using the word the, the name Compiz, and it just seems like this is kind of happening again with the Compiz 0.9 and the Compiz Reloaded. Uh, hopefully, they'll decide to you know work together and not compete with each other because you know we don't want history to repeat itself. But uh, if you are interested in learning more and how you can get a, like a link to the uh, the latest version of Compiz 0.9, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is Taskbook 0.3. Taskbook is a command line tool that allows you to manage to-do tasks and uh, notes and various different items um, that you could do to keep track of like information that you want to keep track of. And it does it in an interesting way through the terminal. 
So the description that they give on their GitHub page is, by utilizing a simple and minimal usage syntax, Taskbook enables you to effectively manage your tasks and notes across multiple boards from within your terminal. All data is, as, is atomically stored uh, in order to prevent corruptions and are ne is never shared with anyone or anything. So it's not, there's no sync, it's directly on your system. They also said that the deleted items are automatically archived, but they can be inspected and restored at any moment. So you don't technically lose the content that you, like a lot of to-do apps, when you are completed with something and you click delete on that item, it just destroys that it, its existence. And I never like that. I don't like when a to-do app does that. I prefer to save it somewhere in like in an archive. That way I can reference like when I did it, when I finished it, who I, who I did it for, you know, if it's a client or something like that. I don't want to do. I don't want to just just delete it. So I really like the fact that they are making it where it archives it instead of deletes it. But it does get it out of your way and as if it deleted it. So that's cool. They also do say that it's a bit of a learning curve. So you might want to, you know, try it out a lot before you get used to doing it because it has a as a unique method of using. They the, the the features that it has is you can organize tasks and notes to multiple different boards. You can use a board view, a timeline view. You can do uh, priority and favorite mechanisms. There's a searching feature and as well as a filter system. You can uh, archive and restore deleted items, like I said. And because it's you know it's because it's a terminal-based thing, it's ridiculously lightweight and fast. It has um, the the data that's written is atomically written, like I said. It's automatically written as well. You just have like a save and it just automatically puts it there. Uh, and like full finds out where it needs to be because it's based on a JSON type of, of storage. So it, it stores everything in a JSON file. So it's a really cool approach because it's a, it's a nice looking terminal applet terminal to do system. Most of the time you see like to do text or task warrior, they're command line driven or command driven. So you have to specify the individual command that will then go back and forth of, you know, uh, you type in to do.txt add then text name. This way you actually see a list and you see it more like um, it's kind of like a UI inside of the terminal. And that's really cool. Uh, this particular app, Taskbook, is available as an NPM for installing or you can install via a snap. Uh, but that just if you do use a snap, the, the variables for uh, configuration files are going to be different because you'll need to use the snap user data rather than the home variable. So if you do try to use it, you know, keep that in mind. I have a link to Taskbook for the latest release of 0.3 in the show notes. Up next in the show is Ubuntu 18.04.2 LTS has been released. And the Ubuntu team here is working on to get, the, get they're getting the uh, hardware enablement stack ready, or the HWE, uh, ready to go for people use, being able to upgrade their kernel and their Mesa drivers and various other things to improve the support for their LTS. Uh, if you can use, you can use um, newer hardware on LTS in the future. So this it just includes a broader hardware support overall. The the HWE or the hardware implementation stack implementation. Uh, the HWE includes broader hardware support, like I said, but they it, it was actually kind of delayed uh, due to a Linux regression. So like there was a, a regression bug that was in the Linux kernel that was about a week ago or, or so, like, and they decided to hold back on releasing it, which is why that they just now released the latest version. But what's really cool is that it allows you to use the the kernel that is and the Mesa drivers that are available in Ubuntu 18.10 inside of Ubuntu 18.04 LTS version. So in theory, it would also mean that the 19.04 version of uh, the kernel and the Mesa drivers will be available to be used inside of the 1804 version, which would be really cool because that means, in theory, you would be able to use like the latest and greatest hardware from AMD, for example, inside of an Ubuntu LTS, which has really never been done before, as far as like consistently. You know, you could kind of get lucky if it re if a, they released a version that happened to have a flagship device finally supported. Maybe, but this way they can make sure that they upgrade the kernel and the Mesa drivers to have access to these these uh, this hardware. Now, I don't think that the hardware available uh, that the like the new like the AMD Radeon Seven, I don't think that that is technically available right now in the Ubuntu LTS because I'm pretty sure we'll have to wait until the 1904 kernel stack and the hardware enablement stack is um, available for the 1804 release. So right now, if you have a relatively new you should be good to go with using that version. But if you have like the latest, newest one from AMD, you might have to wait about a month or two or so. Uh, 
So hopefully they will be having the support in the next release. Uh, we don't know that for sure or not, but uh, we sus- I, su- I would suspect that the Linux kernel 5.0 would be available in the latest version of 1904 Ubuntu just because there should be enough time for the 5.0 to come out and have enough time to get an exception for the feature freeze to be putting it, putting it into the latest release. Um, so hopefully they do that. And that would mean that the uh, the LT, Ubuntu LTS would get the support much faster. Otherwise, we might have to wait a little bit longer, like maybe even six months or so. But anyway, this is really cool. And if you are interested or if you use Ubuntu 18.04, definitely need to update to 18.04.2. I'll have a link to that, the latest release pages, in the show notes. Up next in the show is Debian 9.8 has been released. This is mainly just a point release. Uh, that fixes bugs and etc. And this, um, the in the release notes, they said this point release mainly adds corrections for security issues, along with a few adjustments for serious problems. And this is uh, this the feature the fe- the 9.8 features like uh, a lot of updated packages to fix some corrections and here and there, but also to fix uh, 96 security updates, which includes fixes for QEMU, Ceph, Chromium, Systemd, and more. Uh, they've also addressed some possible deni- denial of service vulnerabilities, but for the most part, the, when these new versions of the stable release of Debian happen, it's mainly just a maintenance and security fixes. So it's not like there's anything like catastrophic or anything that's in these latest releases has been fixed. It's just that they constantly, when they make new releases of the main stable version, it's typically only security releases or maintenance of correction bugs and you know that kind of thing. Whereas if you were to use Debian testing, you would get updates all the time for a variety of different things. Um, but anyway, uh, Debian 9.8 is released now. And if you are interested, I have a link to find out more in the show notes below. So speaking of Debian, MX Linux 18.1 has been released. And MX Linux is probably one of the best user-friendly distros that are ba- that's based on Debian. Now, when I say based on Debian, I don't mean like technically based on Debian, but also but kind of like a a direct, you know, true Debian distro. And it's really hard to explain it because Ubuntu is based on Debian as well. But Ubuntu changes a ton of the infrastructure separate from Debian. Whereas MX Linux is very, you know, parallel with the way Debian works. So it's a different structure. So so MX Linux is kind of like a more close to Debian than Ubuntu is in that respect. Anyway, MX Linux 18.1 is mainly a refresh of their ISO to include the Debian update that fixes the apt vulnerability, which was a remote code execution problem. But we fi- we talked about that in episode 52 of This Week in Linux. So if you're interested in more, finding out more about that particular vulnerability, you can find a link to that episode in the show notes. But this update for MX Linux is mostly just refresh, but they also did some cool things about adding some uh, updates to their uh, the Antics Live system. Uh, they use the Antics Live system from the Antics distribution inside of MX Linux to do their live media booting, which is like um, like image on a stick, live USBs. If you take an ISO and burn it to a USB, well, not burn it, but like you know, to a USB, and so you can like boot your system live from that USB. They use the Antics Live system to do that. So they've up, they've improved it so that the live media booting uh, is better for UEFI users as well as users who are for some reason or another trying to boot from DVD, you know, whatever reason that might be. So if you're, if you're trying to do that, there would be better support for that now. And uh, also Antix, Antix um, distribution will have most of these fixes as well when their next release comes out. They haven't released their latest version yet, but when it does come out, it will have the same benefits of the live media booting and all that. Uh, so if you've never heard of it, MX Linux is a really good distribution for like user-friendly, but still very close to Debian and Antics is a very very lean Linux distro that focuses on supporting all sorts of hardware and getting the most out of it as you can so if you're looking for like a super lightweight distro Antics is a pretty good option and MX Linux is also a really good option for lightweight but it also has a lot of extra custom features to make it more user friendly Um, the reason I like I want to talk about these because I like these projects because they they work in a collaborative structure so a lot of the people who work on Antics also work on MX Linux and vice versa. So naturally, so it's an interesting process where they have one distro specifically built for like lean approach to get as much as you can out of your system, and the other system is more of a like a casual user or 
you know, just to get the, you know, an out of the, a good out of the box experience. So I like that. And I like to see uh, projects like this collaborate like that. So anyway, very cool. If you have a link, I'll have a link to the show notes for in the show notes for MX Linux 18.1's release notes. Up next is some really good uh, community news, and that's uh, Ethan Lee's crowdfunding campaign that he started to improve SDL. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, Ethan Lee is an individual who makes uh, a lot of indie game ports. He's ported a ton of games, including speedrunners, to Linux. Uh, there's actually I'll have a link to his website where you can see all the games that he's ported if you'd like to in the show notes. But this campaign for he's trying to do is um, it's, a, it's a way to... The goal of his new project is to get the Nintendo USB GameCube controller adapter to work on Linux. For those not familiar with this adapter, it allows players to connect up to four controllers and is pop a popular accessory for games like Super Smash Bros. and uh, various different things. So uh, emulation of various different uh, older machines would be a really good reason to have this because if you didn't have it, you have to use some kind of controller like a, a 360 controller, that kind of thing, which would not be as ideal using a native controller for those particular games. Um, so... Ethan says in the, camp the crowdfunding campaign, he says, I would like to improve support for Nintendo's USB GameCube controller adapter on Windows, Mac, and Linux. You may know it is the Wii U GameCube adapter or the Nintendo Switch GameCube adapter. He said, I will, be do I will do this by adding a special backend to SDL via their high uh, wait, HID API-based joystick driver. Right now, there only exists platform-specific standalone programs that make virtual joysticks or programs uh, writable at a, a low-level device support. So you'd have to have... Uh, the individual emulator would have to have support specifically for that adapter built into it rather than the kernel or rather than a SDL driver. So what he wants to do is write a driver that he could introduce uh, out-of-the-box support to uh, provide a you know, extremely large catalog of existing software and emulation and uh, various different games to be able to use uh, these these accessories without having to install anything extra. They just have access to do the, doing this, and it also makes it easier for the emulator creators to support Linux because they wouldn't have, or actually support really anything because they wouldn't have to build these drivers themselves. So it's a really cool idea, and what's awesome is that his goal was for fifteen hundred dollars, and in just forty eight hours of the project being uh, announced. It is already fully funded at $1,520. You can still pledge to your support if you'd like to. Uh, he might use it for doing other work for, you know, more than likely would be using it for more other work for, you know, improving various different gaming aspects to the system. Uh, but it's really cool to see that the, you know, if you ask the community to help you do something to improve the ecosystem and help, and also basically help the community, you know, we are very you know, very much more interest in doing that because this way everybody gets the benefit for it. And all you have to do is just pretty much ask the community and almost most of the time, not always, but most of the time, the community is happy to oblige. So in this case, the community totally did. And that is why it is awesome. So if you want to find out more or if you'd like to contribute to the, the crowdfunding, I have a link to the Indiegogo page in the show notes. The Windows subsystem for Linux, or the WSL, is receiving an update for Windows 10 version 19.1903. Normally, I would say I don't care. But in this case, it's interesting because um, the most notable change is the ability to access Linux, file, Linux files inside of the File Explorer. So the Windows Explorer will be able to load up uh, Linux files, and not even not just WSL files, and not, um, not just extended 4 files, but any Linux file system. So that's actually pretty interesting because the one, of the, one of the biggest reasons uh, people who use NTFS for their storage drives and when they're, when they're Linux users is so that they can also use Windows to access those files because before this, well, Windows only cared about NTFS and uh, XFAT uh, but in nothing, or FAT32 as well, but pretty much nothing else. So... If you didn't use one of those file systems, you wouldn't be able to use the, the, the data on Windows system. Now, you'd be able to use Extended 4, ButterFS, XFS, or whatever else you want that Linux file systems have. So, you can, so in theory, WSL makes it possible. So if you do want to use Windows for some reason, I don't know. But if you do, you'd be able to still get access to your files 
regardless of what type of file system it is. Well, unless it's a Windows thing then, or a Mac thing, then it doesn't matter. The idea is to allow users to copy, edit, and move these files um, inside uh, WSL installations easier. The files will also be accessible through PowerShell, which is pretty interesting. So you could do some like some batch commands with it or batch uh, scripts with it. Uh, so this is good news for users of the WSL. The performance um, will have a bottleneck, um, and they they also said that it there's there's so far there's no. And there's no information about whether it's going to be addressed at any time soon. So maybe the bottleneck will still be there forever, or maybe eventually they'll fix it. I don't know. But hopefully for people who do want to use it, it won't be so drastic. Um, because if you have, you know, bare metal would automatically have a much faster speed because they're going to have an overhead thanks to the WSL. So anyway, if you're interested in learning more, I have a link to it or to this blog post from Microsoft in the show notes. Up next in the show is some unfortunate news. Actually, I think it's the first bit of unfortunate news where the next topic will also be a little bit unfortunate. But first up, the there's this Docker security vulnerability that has been found, and it is called or it's been um, labeled CVE 2019-5736. This security vulnerability has show as a as a flaw showing in Run C, Docker, and Kubernetes container runtime. The vulnerability allows a malicious container to, with actually uh, minimal user interaction, overwrite the host run C binary and thus gain root level code execution on the host. This attack can be used to go after any host system running containers of these types of containers. According to uh, Alexa Saray, Saray? Sorry. a SUSE container se- se- uh, senior software engineer and run C maintainer, uh, security researchers Adam Uwaniuk and Boris Poplowski discovered this vulnerability. I probably butchered your names. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, to use this, an attacker has to place a malicious container within the system. But this is not that difficult, considering there's it's a very common problem that a lot that lazy sysadmins have been just basically picking the first container that comes to. Uh, it comes to hand with it supports whatever they're looking to do, and they and a lot of times people are not looking to see if the software that the container is has is doing what it's supposed to be. There there's a common situation where Docker people just oh, see a Docker container and because Docker is a contained system they don't have to worry they think that they don't have to worry about it, but because of this vulnerability, uh, there's a there's a problem here. So uh, besides Run C. Sarai reports that the problem can also attack container systems using LXC and Apache Mesos container code. So you might be wondering, how bad is this? Well, Red Hat Technical Product Manager for Containers, Scott McCarty, says it's it's quite bad. The disclosure of the security flaw, this is a quote from Scott McCarty, the disclosure of a security flaw, the CVE 2019-5736, in Run C and Docker illustrates a bad scenario for many IT administrators, administrators, managers, and more. Containers represent a move back toward a shared systems where applications from many different users all run at the same Linux host. Exploiting this vulnerability means that malicious code could potentially break containment, impacting not just a single container, but the entire container host, ultimately compromising potentially hundreds to thousands of other containers running on that host. While there are many few incidents that could qualify as a doomsday scenario for enterprise IT, a cascading set of exploits affecting a wide range of interconnected production systems qualifies. And that's exactly what this vulnerability represents. So, yeah. If you're running any kind of containers, especially the ones that I've listed, uh, you might want to update as soon as possible. You should patch your, And if you haven't already patched your systems, you should do that ASAP. So, yeah. Let's go, go move to the next unfortunate topic. You may or may not have heard about some issues going on with a Linux tracker website recently. If you are aware of what Linux tracker is, it is a website that keeps track of torrents for downloading and sharing Linux distros. Um, but there have been some issues and reports of Linux tracker being compromised and injecting a crypto miner and injecting excessive ads, including clickjacking ads. I have some good news and some bad news about this particular topic. So the good news is they weren't hacked. So ISOs and everything like that 
should be fine and likely to not be compromised. Should be okay there. The bad news here is though, it appears that they did both of these on purpose. They purposely added a crypto miner and they purposely added these advertising or these clickjacking ads. So uh, personally, I'm not against the project, any, any particular project using crypto mining plugins on their website if users are willing to participate and are informed of said participation. However, if you weren't, if you didn't see the news update that they released a year ago, you wouldn't know that they're doing crypto mining, but they are doing crypto mining. So I'm, I'm saying that's they're not being asked for participation for the, you know, the permission to do so. So I would say this is, you know, an egregious thing to do to just use someone's system without the permission to do so. I also uh, am not against ads. But there's a reasonable limit of where ads go from being helpful to a site and then hurtful to the user. Having clickjacking ads, which is what, ha what, those, what that means, is that if you click somewhere on one of the links, instead of going to where you want it to go, it just pops up a, a, re a redirect to an ad. And in some cases, these ads are even not safe for work and therefore are horrible for them to be using. So, you know, there's a limit depending on... A different, you know, different user's perspective of what what is okay and what isn't when it comes to ads and crypto mining, etc. But I think it's safe to say that in this case, the Linux Tracker website has broken that limit. They're doing the crypto mining without your permission. They're not informing you that it's even happening. They are doing ads that are injecting ads on, you know, clickjacking. So you could, you know, and they're also not vetting what the ads are. There's just random nonsense ads. So, yeah, it's an unfortunate situation here. Because of this, several distro developers are pulling their ISOs from the site in response to how they're and how they're doing this. In fact, um, even MX Linux, like we talked about earlier in the episode, they've decided to pull their ISOs from this tracker. Um, and I think that that's a good decision because these what they're doing is kind of against open source in general and open against against the Linux community in general. Not necessarily negative to the software that they're providing, but the fact that they are doing things without permission, they're doing things without informing you, and what they're doing is potentially detrimental to the user. For example, crypto mining, if you're not aware and you just happen to leave that tab open, then it could be using your computer while you're trying to do other things and making it slow down or crash, what other stuff. So, I mean, it's not like it's going to be like catastrophic to your computer, but it's still enough where they should tell you that it's happening. So, until Linux Tracker decides to change their ways, I would recommend, I mean, I basically have to recommend that you stay away from the service until they fix it. So, hopefully, they'll do a more reasonable thing of having these ads, you know, like banner ads or text ads or something reasonable. And if you're going to do crypto mining, you should have the, I mean, some websites will ask you for permission to do cookies. This doesn't do that. But at least it should ask you your permission to do crypto mining. So think about that if you run this website, because right now I, it's, it, I can't recommend it. In fact, I'd have to tell people to not use it because it's just, um, yeah, not a good idea. Not a good idea. Anyway, let's move on to a much, much happier news. So the first bit of good news is that the easy anti-cheat service, uh, service may be coming to Steam Play. Uh, Valve and Easy Anti-Cheat are apparently working to get it supported on Steam Play. There hasn't been an official announcement yet, but a Valve developer did reply to a user on the VKX Discord to say that they're probably referring to the ongoing conversation, which is currently stalled by the NDA. So. There is an NDA about the the easy anti cheat and Valve talking uh, doing a discussion about bringing it to Wine and well Steam Play specifically, which would be a massive improvement. Like it just it would change even more so than Steam Play already changes the system because a lot of the reasons why some games are not available on Steam Play is specifically because of these anti cheat tools. And easy anti cheat is one of the most popular ones. And if they were to make it possible to use an easy anti-cheat in Steam Play, then a lot more games would be available to be played on Linux through Steam Play. So that is really, really cool. And there's a lot of potential to be game-changing. 
I keep, I, I'm not using that pun on purpose. I'm just, it's just, it is game changing and the literally and also figuratively. Anyway, tons of games currently include uh, that use e, uh, the easy anti cheat includes titles like um, or companies from uh, Crytek, iRacing, Ubisoft, Paradox Interactive, GameForce, and many more. So I am really excited to hear that they're working on this, and hopefully uh, it comes out pretty soon because they haven't really said they they technically have a net, both easy anti cheat and um, Valve haven't said that they are you know discussing whether it's going to happen or not. Hopefully it does come out soon. So I look forward to it uh, because there's a lot of games I want to play that I can't specifically because of this issue. So anyway, next topic. Up next in the show, Steam has celebrated their six-year anniversary. So happy birthday to Steam because the Steam client for Linux came out six years ago this week. And this is a... I just wanted to, to acknowledge it because of how impactful Steam has been to this show, to this the ecosystem of Linux, to like everything. Like so many things have benefited from Steam. So or Steam coming to Linux. So like just six years ago, well six and a half years ago, I guess, we didn't have that many very many games. So we had maybe like a like a hundred at the time and prior like well, actually maybe not even that. Maybe like fifty games at the time. And now we have over five thousand games available to play on Steam uh, on Linux. So tons of stuff, and it, and they've also been a lot doing a lot of cool stuff like the Steam Machines, uh, Steam Link, which is not technically available anymore, but is still available as a Raspberry Pi if you wanted to, which is pretty cool. Uh, but they also made the Steam Controller, the HTC. They're working with HTC to make the Vive headset, and plenty more to support Linux. And all of this is really cool because Steam has changed so many things um, that it, it actually allowed me to become a gamer again because for years. I used to use Steam when I was on Windows in like 2007, 2008, sometime around there when I dual booted. And then I decided to completely transition over to Linux full time or actually only. And I stopped playing games pretty much exclusively, completely, except for like console games. When Steam came around and made it possible to play PC games, it gave me an opportunity to get back into that world, which is awesome because otherwise I wouldn't have. So, you know. It's there's so many things that Steam that Valve has done to, when when they brought Steam to Linux, and they've also, um, you know, in theory, AMD before this the Steam client came to Linux, AMD was garbage on Linux uh, for years, and then like a year after Steam came on Linux, AMD changed their entire structure of their their their, their system to then become an open source driver and to focus heavily on Linux support and all that. So I'm not sure if it's really Valve had anything to do with AMD's decision, but it definitely didn't hurt. So I'm going to give it at least a little bit of a of a like a check mark for its its help there, uh, because so much stuff has come since then, and also because of Steam's support on Linux. So I just wanted to take a little bit of the time for the show to acknowledge that and say thank you, Valve, for supporting the Linux platform. Up next in the show is some new information from Rocket League. So Rocket League is, if you've ever seen this show before, or if you've seen it for you know any significant amount of time, episodes or whatever, you might have seen me talk about Rocket League on multiple occasions. And that's because I'm a big fan of this game. Uh, this game is a very fun, also very frustrating game, but I think it's an awesome game. But the reason I'm putting it in the show this week is because they've just announced something that's pretty game-changing, and not, excuse the pun, but it is and that it is adding a cross-platform friend system or party system. This allows you to party up with players regardless of what platform they're using to play the game. So the players like me who play on PC via Linux could only party up with Windows players and Mac players previously. Now we can party up with people who are on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, or even Nintendo Switch. So you can have, and you're going to do a mix of everybody too. So if you wanted to play with people on PlayStation and Nintendo Switch at the same time, you could do that too. Because this new uh, friend system uses a thing called Rocket IDs, which you just put your name and then an individual number ID, and then you share that with someone, and they can add you to the friends list inside the game. So it's a very cool idea. It also means that you can not only just add people to parties, you can add them to your list. Uh, You're also your uh, Rocket League clubs. So if you wanted to play with people more often, you can add them to your club, and that way 
uh, you can you know party up with them quicker and also share the same like colors and tags and everything. So it's very cool. And also this this release that's coming out on this this new friend system is coming out this Tuesday. Um, so if you are interested in trying it out and if you have one of those platforms, I mean you could feel free to add me to the friends list. Uh, it'll be awkward probably because I play at the champ level and if you haven't played it before or you haven't played it in a while, it might be a little awkward, but we can still try it and play like a private match or whatever. We can do like some weird, like have a community uh, silly game where we do rumble and uh, do like, I don't know, chaos rumble or something for four V four rumble. That'd be fun. So anyway, the, con- the comp- competitive season uh, nine will come to an end as well, which will also give like special rewards for everybody who plays the ranked version if you haven't played ranked, you can go ahead and play a little bit now and get some rewards. You won't get everything, obviously, but you can get at least the bronze reward. So there's a new wheels that are coming out, and those are they're pretty nice. I like them. Um, but the thing that's interesting, also beyond the friend system, is that there there's this thing called free play, where you just go into a arena and just start, you know, playing against like no one. It's just like just you know free play essentially. You just play with the, the balls in the arena and then you just do whatever you want. They're also adding extra modes because they used they've they've had these extra modes for a very long time, but they're adding these extra modes to free play. So you can like train in drop shot, hoops, rumble, snow day, and all kinds of stuff. So you can see so if you've never played Rumble before, you can use the free play for Rumble and figure and like see what all the items do uh in the game. So it's it's a it's a good way of learning the game and it's a good way of training to improve your skill. And per, and perhaps it might make it possible to for me to get like grand champ in one of these extra modes because they have these, like if you are a grand champ in the regular game, they give you a little title underneath your name when you play that says season, whatever grand champ, but the extra modes, I actually want those titles more because they're ridiculous and they're fun. So if you win a grand champ in rumble, you get RNG champ. If you get it in drop shot, it's called the floor destroyer. If you get in hoops, you get your, you're a dunk master. And my favorite, if you get in Snow Day, you're a Blizzard Wizard. So I want to be Season 10 Blizzard Wizard. Just because. That's fun to say. Anyway. Um, so anyway, Rocket League, cross-platform friend system. Very cool. And uh, feel free to send me an invite. Uh, the My gamer tags is, if you, the, the ID, I don't know what it is because it's not out yet. But it's Tux Digital and then some numbers. So uh, feel free to join the Discord at tuxdigital.com slash discord or the telegram group tuxdigital.com slash telegram so when this actually does come out I'll be able to share that information with you and uh, before we move on to the next topic I wanted to say that uh, as soon as the uh, the graphics card that I'm, I'm, I've ordered is going to come in as soon as it gets here I'm going to try and stream some Rocket League for everybody if you're interested uh, and especially if you're at the same level we could play on the stream as well too uh, but uh, I don't know when that will happen. Hopefully soon. And uh, yeah. Anyway, if you would like to uh, follow and watch the streams, I'll probably not stream on YouTube for those games uh, because the latency and some pixelation issues that YouTube has sometimes. I'll probably just stream stream on Twitch. So if you are interested, you can follow the uh, channel on Twitch by going to Twitch.tv/tuxdigital. So yeah, let's move to the next topic. Up next in the show is some great Humble Bundles that are out. There's some game bundles, there's some book bundles, and comic book bundles. So first up, we'll just talk about the game the game bundle. The Game Maker Bundle has quite a, a few games that are like Linux-related, like Cook, Serve, Delicious, and some others. If you're interested, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, but I want to talk about first the book bundles. So there are some interesting book bundles, including Robotics and Internet of Things, or IoT, bundle. This bundle has uh, books about learning robotics using Python, uh, programming projects for Internet of Things, uh, lots of Raspberry Pi books. It also has development of hands-on chatbots, or hands-on development, really, of chatbots and conversational UI development. It's really, that's an interesting concept to have. That's one of the things I'm interested in checking out for myself in that bundle. Uh, They also have embedded Linux development using Yocto Project as well as uh, IoT solutions with blockchain, because why not? 
because blockchain's everything at this point. There's a big keyword, uh, you know, keyword bingo if you're looking for that. Um, it, there's also another bundle called Intro to Code. So you can learn to code for uh, Python programming by making a game. You can learn responsive web design for, by uh, making uh, like other different like the, the basically the way this works is that the intro to code is they you learn something by doing something else. So like you go through the process of uh, uh, learning how to do Blender for beginners or learning how to uh, create a game by you you by creating like this Spanish teaching game. So you learn information by doing this, or you learn um, Python by making a game, or you learn JavaScript by doing something else. And they also have VR projects that you can learn from. So there's quite a few things in here that are also really interesting. So uh, uh, robotics and IoT and the Intro to Code bundles are both some really interesting books. Um, I'll have a link to both of those in the show notes as well. And um, also... Uh, for the live chat viewers, there the links are already available in the description if you want to check that out. Comics, the next part is the comics. There's two bundles for comics. Uh, I wanted to cover, they're both actually, some of these bundles are only got a couple days left. I think the Spawn bundle only has a couple days. I think both of them only have a couple. Uh, no, the, the Intro to Code has a couple days left. So check those out for sure. Uh, anyway, Comics Start Here bundle. Uh, has a lot of different a lot of different comics that are like the volume one of whatever the particular uh, comic book is. Now I haven't heard of a few of these, quite a few actually, but I have heard of quite a, a lot of them, and and all the ones that I'm going to mention here are quite good and are definitely worth at least trying the first volume. So Judge Dredd is a really awesome but super silly uh, comic book about a uh, dystopian future cop and uh, saga. Uh, Attack on Titan, The Boys, and Lock and Key are all really good uh, comic books. Uh, they're also they're very good stories in general, but they're you know uh, Lock and Key is one I want to talk about as well because Lock and Key is a concept of this uh, this family called the Locks, uh, L O C K E Lock, and also they have this place called the Key House, which is their home. But this key house is also super special because if you use the right key in a particular door, you could open a portal to another location or to another dimension or to all kinds of different things. So the concept is the lock and key of the, of the book is that you uh, see a fantasy story about uh, people. Um, in one case, a child accidentally opens a door with a particular key that makes him trade bodies with someone else, you know, somewhere else in the in the world. It's a really interesting concept so it's also kind of a horror horror genre too just so you know but anyway it's a pretty cool idea so i'll have a link to that the comic start here bundle in the show notes and also finally in the humble bundle is spawn bundle so i'm a big fan of comics spawn is one of those comics that i read when i was a kid i didn't get very far actually i got like probably 20 issues and uh but it was still really good because spawn is from image comics and they're very detailed uh, artists like they're the spawn is a super detailed book of like the artists are amazing really um but uh though what's really cool about this is this bundle you can get over a hundred and like ten issues of spawn for just fifteen dollars so that's pretty cool and i wanted to put it in here mainly to let you know that it's happening also to remind myself i should go buy that bundle because i could finish you know at least the first series of spawn because i think after a hundred i think the first one to a hundred was like the main story and then he started making other stories after that so what's really cool is that this bundle will get you the whole first story for you know 15 bucks really cool anyway i have a link to all these in the show notes below and just so you know every link for these bundles is an affiliate link so if you were to decide to purchase these bundles uh, there will be a small percentage from Humble Bundle that will be given to the Tux Digital channel and this podcast. So I would appreciate it if you were to use those links if you do decide to purchase these bundles. So yeah, links to those in the uh, description and on the show notes. I know you've, what you've all been thinking. I wish I could run Windows 95 again. Or maybe you've never tried it before. Maybe you've, you weren't alive when Windows 95 came out or was used. So you wanted to try that, you know, experience it for yourself. Well, you can do that with Windows 95 OS Electron app because reasons. 
I actually covered this ep- this before in an episode 35 of This Week in Linux, but I decided to include it again because they added some pretty interesting new benefits for people who want to try it out for whatever reason they want to try it out for. Um, so that they have a new Windows 95 disk image in this version. They've also added the ability to try uh, Microsoft Front Page, Net- Netscape 2.0, and Front Page Server for some reason. You can also play some games on this as well, including Doom, Wolfenstein 3D, A10 Tank Killer, and Grand Prix Circuit. They also added the ability to reset the machine and also added support for high DPI devices. Now, I've never considered the idea of using Windows 95 with high DPI, so I'm pretty I'm pretty interested to see what happens here, but you know, that's Anyway, they've also added support for sound so that the games would actually, you know, make sense when you play them. But overall, I think this is a really interesting, while while be it uh, kind of ridiculous, uh, application that you can use. Uh, but you don't have to, uh, like, run it in a VM because it is just an Electron app, so you can just run the, system, run the app on your regular computer and it'll just work. So if you are interested in, or if nostalgia has taken hold of you, and you want to try out a full Windows 95 experience, well, not necessarily full, I guess, but a as full as you can now, uh, you can download this app because it, it's available as a dev file and an RPM file, and it, show, it should work on quite a few Linux distros. So if you are interested, I have a link to the GitHub page for this particular application in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, and many more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. If you'd like to submit some good news to the show, then you can visit our subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Unless it's this week, then it was Sunday. But next week, it'll be Saturday. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.